Good morning, and welcome to Ignite. I'm Tammy, and I volunteer here at Ignite. Hi, Tammy. Hi. <laughs> and um, first, I would like to make a big welcome to anybody who's new here today. We're super glad that you braved the weather to come visit us. And we do have a little thank you gift at the Welcome Center. If you want to stop there when the service is over, one of our First Impressions team would love to give that to you. And then I need to draw everybody's attention to our fun little programs that are near you somewhere. And if you open that up, there's a little communication card on the inside that you can rip out. Ah, that's beautiful sound. <laughs> and the communication card is for everybody to fill out, first timers all the way until now, you're regular attendees. And it's a way for us to get to know you a little bit better. It also has prayer requests on the back, which we have a team of people that would love to be praying for you, your family, or any of your needs. We uh, also, you can check the boxes for different things like wanting to serve at Ignite, learning more about Ignite, or signing up for different things. And then that just gets dropped in the offering bucket as it goes by later in the service. And a couple of announcements that we have. Next week, we will be having our Compassion Fund Drive, or offering. And we do that offering once a year. And it um, goes to support and serve and help people that are in financial needs. And so we are asking that you would be praying about that and thinking of what you could do above and beyond what you're already giving for that one time a year. And then you just bring that with you next week, marked Compassion Fund. And then uh, there's also a couple other ways you can give. You can give online or on our Ignite app. And then the other thing that we have going on next week will be really fun. We are going out to serve, uh, to pray and hand out some little goodies and some in Christmas invites to people in the area. So first what we'll be doing is we'll be having lunch here and then we will be going out praying, handing those out, inviting people to church to learn more about Jesus during the Christmas season. So you can sign up for that on your communication card or at the Welcome Center. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Tammy. It's our first time doing announcements. Don't you think we should <laughs> give it up? <laughs> All right. Well, we are super glad that you guys are here this morning. We are on our fifth and final week of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called The Pursuit, God's Heart for Rebels. And uh, maybe the sub subtitle is God, God's Heart for Rebels like you and me, right? People like us. In this, throughout the series, we're walking through the book of Jonah, a little four-chapter long book at the end of, towards the end of the Old Testament. And Jonah is really the story of one man's rebellion, one man sort of running from God and about God's tireless pursuit of him and pretty much everybody else in the story, the way that God is working behind the scenes, sometimes right in front of their faces, working in profound ways to try and bring them home, to try and bring people back to him. Because as, as we've seen throughout the series, this is really God's heart, right? God is pursuing Jonah. God is pursuing even you and me to show his love and his power to, sh to, to bring us to a place of forgiveness, to, to introduce us to second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on, to bring people throughout the story, to bring, to bring people throughout history back home to him. The story of Jonah, I think, has just a ton of application, a ton of connection for you and me living today because I think all of us run from God in one way or another. All of us, uh, in some ways, sort of get off track, and God is continually working. God is continually pursuing to bring us back home for him. He's pursuing us in our rebellion. He's pursuing us sometimes when our hearts are just not really aligned with his, as we'll talk about today. He's pursuing us when life is not going very well. We feel like things are kind of heading down the toilet drain <laughs> in our lives. And at the same time, he's working when everything is going great. He is working to try and bring us back to him. Today, as we kind of wrap up this series, we're going to talk and walk through Jonah chapter 4 a little bit and talk about how God refocuses us and how God works in our hearts uh, to align our hearts with his. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Jonah chapter 4. Uh, if you go to the New Testament book of Matthew and go back a few books, you'll find it that way. Otherwise, you can also open up, uh, if you've got the Ignite Church app, you can open that up. There's a notes section in there. If you click on that, it's got all the scripture and the notes for the day. I would encourage you just to follow along uh, with that. A little background here before we jump into Jonah chapter 4. Uh, God um, called this prophet uh, Jonah, right? This, this is the last four weeks in, in, a, in a paragraph, so stick with me. God called to the prophet Jonah, right, in chapter 1. We looked at this a few weeks ago. It says, Jonah, I want you to go to your arch enemies, right, to people that were evil, sort of brutal people, people that would maybe be considered something like ISIS today, right? Uh, 
I'm calling you to go to your arch enemies, and I want you to preach to them and give a message to them, warning them that judgment is coming, but if they'll turn back to me, they can find a second chance. They can find forgiveness and grace. And Jonah thought about this for a second and said, um, no, right? And so he turns around, and he runs from God. He sets out, in fact, to, to, to go to a city 2,500 miles in the opposite direction is where God was calling him to go, the city of Nineveh. And so as we talked about over the last few weeks, we've seen how God tirelessly has pursued Jonah, right? God, God orchestrated events. God spoke. God did all kinds of things to get Jonah's attention. God sent a storm, right? Eventually, God sent a fish or a whale or something, some big sea creature to swallow him up and rescue him, but also to take him to the bottom to the point where he was willing and finally able to turn his gaze and his heart back to God and say, God, I've been running from you. Would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you bring me back home? And then we've seen how God rescued him. God saved him first by the whale or by the fish, and then he saved him from the whale or from the fish. At the end of uh, chapter two, he spits him out, right? And up on land, and he speaks to him again. and says, Jonah, okay, uh, I'm gonna repeat the first command I gave you and say it again. Jonah, go to the people of Nineveh, your arch enemies, and, and give them the message that I give you to bring. And this time he says, what's he say? Good idea, right? Like, I think I'm on board with that plan, right? I think this is, this is probably best. And so he goes to the town, and even last week we looked at how he kind of goes in with an attitude, sort of probably slouched over. He walks through the town and gives a five-word message. It is not very hope-filled. We, re we refer to it as the, the worst message in history, right? The worst message ever preached. Five-word message, which is basically 40 days till you burn, right? I mean, that was basically his message of hope, his message of redemption. He kind of, even in that, he's sort of hoping that they don't repent, that they don't turn back, that God is not merciful or graceful towards these arch enemies of his, towards these uh, people of Nineveh. And yet, God was already at work amongst the people, and the people were ready. And when Jonah went through the town, what happens? People turn back to God. They, they drop to their knees. They start crying out, God, would you forgive us? God, would you give us a second chance? God, would you make us new? Would you intervene? And he does. The amazing thing of uh, Jonah chapter 3 was that pretty much the entire town, 120,000 people repent. 120,000 people get a second chance from God. They turn back to him and find a fresh start. It's, a, it's like a prophet's dream come true. It's any pastor's dream come true. You give a five-second message and 120,000 people convert, right? I mean, like, that's a good day for any evangelist, for any prophet, right? You can imagine Jonah should be ecstatic. He has seen the living God work in a profound, in an amazing way, right? He should be talking book deals, right? He should be going on Oprah or something and like sharing about this, how he went in and God used him to transform an entire city. It's amazing, right? I mean, th he should be thinking about videos and, you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, you would think he would be ecstatic. You'd think he would be in awe of what the living God has done through him. But what we find is anything but that. Jonah, in fact, is not particularly happy at all about what God did. And that's where we're going to kind of pick up the story. Jonah chapter 4, starting with verse 1, says this. We're going to read through it, and then we'll kind of walk through a few points after that. Jonah 4, starting with verse 1, says this. But to Jonah, this, the fact that God had just forgiven the entire city, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall or avoid by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's saying that like it's a bad thing, right? I knew that you were going to be merciful, he's saying. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Keep going. Verse 4 says, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Hello? Jonah had gone out at this point and sat down uh, at a place east of the city. And there he made himself a little shelter, and he sat in its shade and to see what would happen to the city. At this point, Jonah's still hoping, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe fire will fall from heaven and consume my enemies. I want to be here for the fireworks, right? I want to see the show. So that's what he's hoping for. Verse 6, then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, 
God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry that I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did nothing, right? You did not tend it or make it grow. It was a gift that I gave you. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Listen to this. This is the kind of the clincher. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also uh, many animals? That's how the entire book ends, by the way, with a question. It leaves, leaves you hanging. I read through this this week and was thinking about how easy it is for Jonah and really how easy it is for us to get so focused on our own little lives, to get so focused on our own desires, our own comforts, the own, our own ways that God has provided for us and done a good work for us that we can kind of fall out of alignment with God himself. But God is graciously pursuing us, working to try and refocus us, to realign our hearts and to bring us back to him. And so today I want to just kind of talk about uh, Jonah chapter 4. And I I really think Jonah chapter 4 is about a refocusing that he does in Jonah. And I think Jonah chapter 4 really speaks to us as well about ways that God wants to refocus and do a work in our own hearts and in our own lives. Reminding us of what's important, reminding us of how this deal works. So we're just going to walk through three of them. Uh, and the first one is general, and then the, the second two are sort of subpoints or applications from the first, but we'll kind of go, go from there. The first thing I just want to talk about is that uh, uh, right, kind of the first step in the process is that God comes and he works in, to refocus our hearts. I mean, it's not hard to read through Jonah and see that Jonah kind of needs a change of heart, right? He's got issues. <laughs> and the reason that I know that is because Uh, First of all, you can see it throughout, but also I think I have issues as well. We have issues as well. But Jonah 4 starts out right from the beginning. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong. In fact, it says this literally means this seemed very evil to him that God would forgive the people of Nineveh. And he became angry means literally he began to burn with fire, right? Anybody ever been so angry that you burned with fire, right? Okay, you probably haven't, but maybe somebody sitting near you has, right? Burned with fire. He was angry, it says. And what was, this, what was Jonah upset about, just to be clear? What was Jonah upset about? That God didn't kill him, right? That God was merciful, that God spared them, that 120,000 people just turned back to God and found forgiveness and found a second chance. Jonah is so upset that he's like, man, I wish I were dead. I'm so angry. I'm so upset. Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live because people just received and found forgiveness and grace. Anything seem out of alignment here? Any heart issues going on in Jonah that maybe need to be tweaked? Later uh, in the passage, he's ready to die over a plant <laughs> that grew up. Again, anything sort of out of whack here in Jonah's own life? Any, anything out of alignment with God's heart? When our hearts get out of alignment, it takes a toll on us. The negative sort of gets amplified. The positive gets skewed. Nothing seems right. Joy goes out the window. We get worn down. We get frustrated. We get exhausted. It's like a car. When your wheels, when one of them gets out of alignment, what happens to it, by the way? You can talk in church. Go ahead. What happens to it uh, when you, in your car, right? When one of your wheels is out of alignment, what happens to it? It wears out, doesn't it? It wears, it, it kind of grinds it down, makes for not as smooth of a ride, that's for sure, right? They wear out quicker, they grind down, it's not smooth. It, it takes a toll, and the same is true when our own hearts, when our own lives get out of alignment with God's heart and with God's desires in life. It's interesting, but when we get really angry, when we sort of burn with fire kind of angry, because things aren't working out the way we expect or the things that we want, like Jonah, I think oftentimes it exposes a misaligned heart in us. Anytime we kind of react disproportionately emotional, uh, we have a disproportionate emotional reaction. Anytime we sort of get angry way beyond what we should, or maybe we find ourselves throwing a temper tantrum of sorts or just totally overreact to something. 
because things didn't go our way. Anytime we react and respond in those kinds of ways, we probably need to stop and explore that because there's probably a heart issue going on, a way that our heart is out of alignment with what God's desire is for our lives and for our relationships. There's likely a heart issue. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself is one way I was thinking about it. It could be that, it, I mean, it can manifest itself in all different kinds of ways, can't it? I mean, it can, sometimes we can see this with financial pressure going on in your life. You're, you're feeling some things, there's some bills that are racking up, but you're having a disproportionate amount of stress uh, that's coming out of it. Maybe you're feeling bitter or hopeless or depressed, and, and what you're experiencing is maybe this big, but, but what you're, how you're responding is maybe this big. It feels like a huge deal. Everything gets clouded, right? And, and, and what's... Uh, what the issue is, is, is just comes across as way bigger than it really is. It could be that you've been hurt or offended by somebody, and you feel like you've been wrong, and man, you've got this disproportionate amount of anger that is welled up from within you. It could just be that somebody, a friend or a spouse or significant other or something has said something to you, and your reaction is just off the charts. But these things are indicators. It's like a little light that's going off in the back of our head saying, you know, there's something wrong. Something is misaligned in your life. Maybe there's a heart issue that needs to get dealt with. Maybe the living God is sort of sending up signals and flares saying, you know what, there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. He doesn't want to see you and I worn down. He doesn't want to see us depressed and struggling forever. And so the living God might be showing up and working nudging you to take a closer look under the hood because our heart is out of alignment. Maybe you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Maybe you're feeling burnt out or angry or depressed or whatever. Maybe you've lost perspective and focus. Maybe the, the, the negative has been amplified and it just seems out of control. Maybe that's the living God working and inviting you to come back home, to bring your heart back into alignment with him and to turn your heart and your focus back home. Jonah's just led one of the most successful revivals in history. It's an amazing work of God. His actions are okay. He's done that. He, he followed through on it. In his head, he knows God. He knows that God is merciful and loving. He's experienced it. He even proclaims it here in this passage. But in his heart, he does not care. His heart is not aligned. And so God pursues him. And he's working to try and align Jonah's heart with his head and with his hands. It's interesting, but Jonah 4 is also crystal clear that God is the one that's at work behind the scenes, right? It's God that's speaking to him. It's God that provides the plant, it says. It's God that then also provides the worm. It's God who provides the scorching east wind that causes it to wither. All of these are parts of God pursuing Jonah, God working through the circumstances to pursue Jonah, to bring him back home and to align his heart with God's. I was thinking this week about uh, times in my life when my heart was out of alignment with what God wanted, and I was reminded of a time, maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago, something like that, that I was in my office uh, at the church that we started up in Wisconsin, and it was late at night. It was maybe, I don't know, 5.30, 6 o'clock. It was late in the, the afternoon, uh, and I was done. I had been pretty exhausting week, I think, in that era. I was working a second job. I was working part-time doing church planning stuff for the district, which had me traveling. I might have even been doing school, uh, you know, grad school stuff at the time. And uh, I was just pooped. I'd, been, I'd worked a couple of 12 or 14-hour days, and this was at the end of one of those, and I was done. I was ready to get out of there. I was shutting my computer down. I was packing up my bag. And uh, I was ready to go home, maybe, you know, have some supper, maybe hang out with the family. I was hoping that maybe the kids would want to watch a movie so that we could put in the movie and I could, right, snore during it <laughs> kind of thing. But I was, I was looking for a lazy sort of me time uh, for that evening. And, and as I was just about ready to turn off the light in my office, I saw a car pull up outside. And so the, the way my office was situated is there was an outer office uh, that the administrative staff w was in. So I, I kind of stepped out to see who it was. And just then they stepped out of the car and they saw me. And I have to say, I had a disproportionate reaction in my heart. I jumped back into my office and I had this anxiety, sort of almost like, yeah, freak out moment where I was like, 
I don't want to see them. <laughs> like I, I wanted to hide under my desk. I wanted to run away. I started thinking if there were other alternate exits out of the building, like maybe they hadn't really seen me, you know, kind of thing. And it wasn't that it was uh, them or anything, although I had only met with them one other time and I had to tell them that I couldn't marry them. <laughs> so I wasn't, wasn't so sure this was going to be a good meeting. I was a little afraid of that kind of deal. And uh, I'm telling you what, it was just, it was where my heart was at. I, I was like, oh man, there's no, there, I did not want to do this. I want to go home. I want to see my family. I want to sit in my recliner. You know, like I want to, I want to just chill. This is not, I'm like, God, I know I'm supposed to serve and I know, but my heart was not there. It's just, it's just honest. I wasn't where I was. And, uh, and so I thought, well, okay, they've seen me. They're coming in the door at this point. And I'm like, well, okay. Uh, I'll meet with them, but only for like five minutes, God, and then I'm going home. I mean, it was that kind of a, that kind of a thing. And, uh, and so they came in, and uh, we exchanged pleasantries for a couple seconds. And I kid you not, about 30 seconds later, uh, they sat down, and they, they said, well, they're like, here's, here's the reason we're here. They said, uh, we were having supper last night, and, and it came up in the course of conversation uh, the question came up like, what must we do to be saved? What must we do to end up with God? What must we do to go to heaven? How might we reconnect with the living God? And we realized we have no idea. And so we thought maybe you could help. I'm like, you'll think I'm making that up. That's seriously what they said. They're like, we talked about what we have to do to be saved and we didn't know. So we thought maybe you could help. And actually, even at that moment, I kind of like inside, I'm just going, I'm sorry, God, I'm such an idiot, right? That's not where my heart was at. I wanted to run, and yet God had bigger plans. And so I sat down with them, and, uh, and I shared the gospel with them. I shared that there was a Savior that came for them whose name was Jesus, who thought they were worth dying for, who loved them so much, right? That he couldn't imagine being separated from them, and so he died to bring them back home. And that anybody who turns and puts their faith and their trust in Christ has the opportunity to have their sins washed away. They're adopted back into God's family. I mean, they'll kind of share this whole deal with them. In fact, at one point, I drew out something called the bridge illustration. Some of you might be familiar with that. It's sort of a visual picture of, of what, uh, of what uh, the gospel kind of represents. And as I draw it on the board, the woman, I kid you not, starts saying, that right there, that's what I want. I'm like, holy cow. And so I was, it was like one of the coolest moments ever. And so I got to, to be there uh, while this woman prayed and just opened up her heart and life to Christ for the first time. She, she was able to cry out, acknowledge her sin, cry out, ask, invite God to come in and transform her and make her new. It was an amazing moment. And they eventually finished up and they left. And I had to spend a few minutes with God that night just, uh, just telling him how sorry. And just recognizing that my heart was out of alignment with his. <laughs> that I was so focused on myself and the stuff going on in my life that I just about missed what God had for me. And I think we can do the same. I think it's so easy, and maybe the human condition, right? It's so easy for our hearts too to get out of alignment and for us to miss out on what God has for us. Here's the deal, friends. God wants all of us. He does. He's not content with you just knowing about him. He's not content with you just sort of begrudgingly following him and his plans for your life. He wants your heart. He wants all of you, right? And if you've opened up your heart and your life to him, he will continue to be working and revealing behind the scenes. He'll continue to be using circumstances, to be using his word in your life to reveal heart issues, to reveal ways where your heart is out of alignment with his and he's going to keep working to try and bring your head, your heart, and your hands all into alignment with what he has for your life, with his good and pleasing and perfect plan. Because when our hearts are out of alignment that way, man, it grinds us down. We lose perspective. All kinds of stuff happens. In Jonah chapter 4, I mean, I think we see this, we see God working behind the scenes and again, sometimes in very graphic ways to try and refocus Jonah's heart. And there's really like two areas that, that I see primarily that God speak into. The first one has to do with grace, a kind of a refocusing of Jonah's heart on grace and a reminder of that. And the second one is mission. And those are the next two we're going to look at. 
This first, first of all, this refocusing on grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor, right? It's, it's forgiveness. It's his rescue, his love, and his, uh, his acceptance that's freely offered by God through Christ, through those, who, you know, for, through those who turn and put their trust and faith in Christ. God is gracious and forgiving. He gives second chances to everybody in this story that asks him. He gives a second chance to Jonah. He gives second chances to sailors who cry out for him. He gives Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, a second chance when they cry out to him. It's who he is. He's gracious, God. He's a forgiving God. And he pours out good gifts and forgiveness and grace on us mercifully and on people who don't deserve it. Jonah, right, when he received it, he was glad to be on the receiving end of God's grace. Right when he turned around and ran in the other direction and there was a storm that was so bad it was about to bust up the ship, he was glad that God graciously spared him. When he was thrown overboard and left for dead in the ocean, he was glad that God graciously spared him, right, through a fish. And when he was sitting at the bottom of the ocean and he turned and cried out to God for the first time in the story and asked him to forgive him, he was glad that God graciously heard him, raised him up, set him free, and gave him a second chance. Jonah was glad that he was, that God was a gracious God when it had to do with him. But when it came to somebody else, somebody that he didn't like, somebody that wasn't like him maybe, he was ticked that God was gracious towards him. Let's, let's listen to this, verses two through four. It says, as Jonah prayed to the Lord, it's the second time in the book we see this happen, that he, he turns to the Lord and prays. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Tried to avoid this. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you were slow uh, to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, who gives second chances. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it would be better for me to die than to live. But God's response is this. Is it right for you to be angry? Really? Jonah, really? Do you, do you remember all those times? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, do you, do you remember running from me? Do you remember that? Don't you remember being thrown off the ship and left for dead? Do you remember me saving you and rescuing you? Do you is it really right for you to be angry? Do you remember being inside of the stomach of that giant fish or creature and crying out for a second chance and I granted it? Do you remember? Do you have the right to be angry? Do you remember that, Jonah? I mean, the fish smell's probably still on you. How could you forget, right? How could you forget? Your heart is really off here. I restored you graciously. You didn't deserve it. You didn't work your way up to earn it. There was nothing you could do, and yet you asked for a second chance, and I gave you one. Why is it wrong? Why are you mad that I'm offering that kind of grace others. God refocuses Jonah's heart, Jonah, Jonah's mind, and reminds him of the grace and the forgiveness that has been poured out on him. Reminds him that grace is for everybody. One of the parallel stories I can't help but think about as I'm reading this, we talked about it the first week, and I want to talk about it again, is the, is the whole parable that Jesus tells of the the prodigal son, the lost son. You guys remember this story? We talked about it uh, week one. Just It seems like there's so many parallels between that and the book of Jonah. Let me give you the cliff notes here uh, for those that maybe aren't familiar. The f- right. First, it starts out with the younger son who asked the father for his inheritance. He basically saying, Father, I want to live as though you were dead, but I don't want to wait that long, right? So just give me the money that I'd get when you die and give it to me now. And for some unbelievable reason, the father is gracious, probably has to sell off land and all kinds of things. He gets, he gets the money together and gives it to his son, the younger son. And the younger son takes off and he squanders it in wild living. He goes, who knows, he goes to the casino, he goes partying, he goes from place to place to place to place to place. He blows it all. Everything that his father has worked for for a lifetime, everything his family has probably worked for for generations is gone in no time. When he spent his last dollar, he finds himself in need. He finds himself hungry, and he has an aha moment, a come-to-your-senses moment. When he turns back, he says, man, what am I doing? 
He remembers what life was like with the father, and he turns home. And he comes back home. It says the father sees him coming. He runs down the road. He throws his arms around him. He forgives him, right? He restores him. He puts a, the family ring on his finger. He puts a robe around him. He puts sandals on his feet, and he throws a party complete with killing the fattened calf, right? He throws a big party, invites the whole town probably, and says, man, let's celebrate because the son of mine was dead. He was gone, but he has come back home. It's a, it's a story that Jesus tells to remind us and to give us a picture of the Father's heart towards us, to, of God's heart towards us. But that's not the end of the story, is it? There are two characters in the story who really probably wish uh, that the prodigal son had never come home. The first one is the fattened calf, right? <laughs> He's like, man, this is bad news. But the second one is the older brother. There's an older brother in the story. And Jesus says he was angry, right? He was angry when he heard that the, that the, that the younger brother had come home. He was, young, he was angry when he saw the father throw a lavish party for this other son. He was angry at the gift of grace, at the forgiveness, at the second chance that gets bestowed on this younger brother because his heart was out of line on this one. Listen to this, Luke 15, 28 through 32 is the end of the story, says it like this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He was burning, right? So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, in that interesting language, is it his brother or is it not? When the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he reminds him, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now think about this for a minute. I mean, the older brother has been living at home with the father all along. He's been living in the mansion, probably. He's been driven around by the father's chariots or in the father's horses or carriages or whatever. He's been eating amazing food every day. He had all this stuff at his disposal. All this stuff was freely given to him every day of his life. It was grace. It was given to him without restrictions, without strings. It was given to him because he was the son of the father. And the father was gracious, the father was loving, the father loved to provide for his son. Everything that he needed and so much more. He was home with the father throughout all this, at least kind of. But when his brother came home, the older brother became so mad, he was angry, he was burning inside because, because of two things. He was angry because the father had been gracious and welcomed him back home. And he was angry because he had freely given a feast, a party to celebrate this younger brother's return. And he's a little jealous. He's like, why don't you work for me that way? Why don't you give to me that way? He doesn't deserve it. I've been here working my butt off the whole time. I deserve it, and he doesn't. Why don't you throw a party and honor me? Why don't you celebrate me? Why don't you keep the focus on me, right? He was angry that the prodigal son had returned. And as a result, he missed out. He missed out on the party. He missed out on welcoming home a brother. He missed out on the festivities. In fact, you get to the end of the story and you realize that the, uh, the lost son who has now come home, he's the one that's home inside with his father. And the older brother is sort of on the outskirts. It's the older brother that had a misaligned heart, a heart that wasn't like the father. In this story, you have not one lost son, but you have two lost sons. One who did the full-on rebellious, run away from God kind of thing, and eventually came home. And one who was sort of in the vicinity, who looked religious, who looked like they were home with the father, and yet their heart wasn't really right before him. Two lost sons, two sons that were receiving grace, that, with whom forgiveness was available. Right, a father that was gracious to pour out forgiveness and to offer second chances to both. But only one of the brothers, the younger son, recognized his need for it and receives it. 
In chapter 4, Jonah is like the older brother, isn't he? He's ticked that these prodigal Ninevites were welcomed home by the father. He's ticked that they were forgiven. He's ticked that they were given a second chance. He thinks he deserves to be forgiven, but not them. It's the older brother syndrome. And to be honest, it's sort of the religious syndrome. It's the tendency for all of us that have been around the church scene for a while, and all of us probably need to be careful that we don't get sucked into. If you've ever found yourself wishing that somebody got what they deserved... You might be like the older brother. You might be like Jonah in chapter 4. If you've ever found yourself upset because God was merciful and gracious towards somebody else or even jealous over the ways that God was working in somebody else's life and you said to yourself or thought to yourself, I wish God would do that for me. It's not fair. Why doesn't he do that for me? Here, I've been slaving away. I've been doing the right things. I've been doing this and this and this and this and this. Why doesn't he do that for me? If you've ever done that, chances are you're a bit like the older brother. Ch chances are there's some of Jonah in you that way if you've ever looked down on down your nose on somebody that's far from god if you've ever found yourself upset that maybe people on food stamps or eat are eating so well or or whatever then maybe there's a little bit of the older brother or a little bit of jonah in you too and god reminds jonah do you really have a right to be angry jonah jonah i have poured out my grace on you i have rescued you again and again and again i have been working in your life all over the place in amazing, miraculous kinds of ways. I've been trying to draw you home. There is grace for you too. Shouldn't I be graceful towards others in the same way that I've been gracious to you? Do you really have a right to be angry? Here's the real point of Jonah 4, as well as the point really of the prodigal son. It doesn't matter if you've been like the younger brother and you've run from God, or it doesn't matter if you've played the part of the older brother. You've sort of been around the church scene, but you've you got some heart issues still. To either one, God's calling you first and foremost to come and refocus and remember his grace and receive his grace afresh, number one. But number two, the second thing is God's also calling you and I to become like the Father, to become gracious like the Father, to live our lives on mission like the Father. God is calling us home first and foremost to receive his grace and then he's calling us to become like him. That's the third one we're going to talk about is there's a refocusing that happens here on mission. God pursues Jonah. He rescues him from the storm, rescues him from the belly of the whale, forgives him for his rebellion, transforms him and gives him a second chance so that he can become like God. God is working to make Jonah's heart and your heart and my heart as well like his. Listen to verses 9 through 11. It says, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah says. And I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant that I've given you. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have greater concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left? God uses Jonah to bring 120,000 people who were completely lost, who were completely far from God. God used Jonah to bring them back home. He used him to help them find forgiveness. And now God says, man, your heart needs to get refocused on mission because your heart is out of alignment on this deal. Yes, you did what I asked you to do, but in your heart, you want to see these people burn. What's wrong with you? These are people that God loves, he's saying, right? Your heart is out of whack. Your heart needs to get refocused on mission. You got your underwear in a bunch, Jonah, over a stupid plant, right, that died, that grew up and that died, when what you should really be concerned about is these hundreds of thousands of souls that matter to God. Why is your heart not grieving for them? Why is your passion and even some righteous anger not aroused overseeing them get reached overseeing them come into my kingdom shouldn't your heart be aligned with my heart on this Jonah shouldn't your heart break for others that are far from God the same way that you were shouldn't your heart break for others that need a second chance like you did shouldn't you be more concerned about those people that are far from me than a little plant 
God's saying to Jonah, and I think God's saying to us as well, man, I've forgiven you. Now go and forgive others and help them to discover forgiveness through Christ. I've rescued you, and now I'm calling you to go and help rescue others. I've saved you from the storms. I've saved you from the whale, the fish, the whatever, and now I'm sending you out, and I want to use you to help save others from their storms. Get on board, Jonah. Your heart and your life are out of alignment. You are only focused on yourself. You're only focused on what I have graciously given to you. And now I'm telling you to go with the grace that you've received and ex you know, express that grace to others. Express the God of second chances, the God of grace. Point other people to me, he's saying. Get on board, align your life with my mission. I want to use you to change the world, but you've got to get your head and your heart and your hands aligned. Just was reminded as well that Jesus, uh, this is sort of Jesus' picture, Jesus' approach as well. Mark uh, 1, 16 and 17 says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, this is early on in his ministry, he's, he's calling his disciples. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting, casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And Jesus calls to them, he says, come and follow me, he says, and I will send you out to fish for people. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's what the old NIV used to say, right? Make you fishers of people, fish for, fishers of men and women. Now the order here is important, right? He starts out with the grace thing, come follow me, come you know, receive me, come let me rescue you, let you know, cry out for me to forgive you and to come and walk with me and be with me, put your trust in me, that kind of thing. Of course, that's first and foremost. But then he says, let me teach you, let me show you how to fish for men and women, how to fish for people. He's saying basically up until this point of your lives, you've simply been fishermen. You've been consumed with your job, with your work, with making a living, with providing food on your table, with making a buck, saving for retirement, and whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But from here on out, he's saying, I've got bigger plans in mind for you. I've got greater purpose for you. From now on, I want you to think of yourselves as fishers of men and women. I want you to think of yourselves as missionaries, he's saying. Instead of focusing just on the job or on your own stuff, look at the bigger picture and align your hearts and align your lives to make a difference in others' lives and specifically to make a difference in people's eternal destinies. God's desire is for his followers, is for Christ's followers, for us, right? All of us to be fishers of men and women, to be about his plans and purposes for our lives wherever we are. In whatever job, in whatever stage of life, Whatever era, he wants to use you. He wants you to become a fisher of men for him. He wants to use you to impact lives, to impact people's destinies and eternities for him. He wants to use you to serve and to love people around you. He wants to use you to help point people back home to the Father. He wants to use you as your heart and your hands and your head align, as you surrender and open up your life to him. He wants to use you to bring his kingdom to this earth, his plans into your home, his plans and his kingdom into your workplace and into your neighborhood. Wherever you step foot, he wants to use you. He wants you to represent him well. He wants you to shine for him well there. That's what happens in Jonah. Dude, Jonah, I pulled you from a fish. I rescued you from the bottom of the sea. I gave you grace and second chances and forgiveness, and now I want to use you to help give others a second chance. I freed you so that you can help others find freedom in Christ. I forgave you. Now help other people find that same forgiveness by turning to me and finding life. During World War II, I remember reading one time about a little French village that had a, at the center of their town, they had a little statue um, of Jesus, a statue of Christ. It was sort of the focal point of the community. And when bombing came, the statue was broken into pieces and the, the villagers went out and collected the pieces and kept them hidden until after the war. And then at the end of the war, they, they came back together. They brought the pieces back out. They tried to put it back together, although the statue of Jesus at this point was no longer super beautiful. It was all cracked and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. But in some ways, they thought it was even more significant that it had survived. And so they were putting it together. And when they got to the end, they realized that something had happened and the hands of Jesus had been destroyed. It was kind of a big deal for them because on his hands had the nail prints, which were of great significance to them. In fact, they were thinking of taking the statue down until at one point somebody got put a gold plaque and slipped it in at the bottom of the statue that says, he has no hands but ours. 
And although I have a little bit some issues with their theology, all of a sudden the lights sort of came on uh, for this little community and they understood something that I wish we could understand here today. And it's this, that we are meant to live as his hands and feet, as the hands and feet of Jesus in our lives, in our worlds, in our families, in our workplaces. God wants to use you and me to impact our worlds. We're an extension of his ministry. We're ambassadors. We're ministers to this world. We represent Christ to a world that desperately needs Jesus. And he has rescued you and now calls you to go out and to help rescue others. He's poured out his love and his grace on you and me. And now he sends us out to be his hands and his feet and, and help others experience and find that new life in Christ. Jonah is embittered by God's grace to others, and he's distracted by God's, what, the grace that God has poured out in his own life. But what Jonah needed was a change of heart, didn't he? Because God's grace and forgiveness, his love is for everyone. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for every person you've ever locked eyes with. And God's heart is to align, you know, align us to his heart and to his mission and to send us out to go live for him to bring his love and his grace and his forgiveness to a world that desperately needs it. Well, Jonah chapter four at the end sort of leaves you hanging. It's a cliffhanger of sorts, isn't it? You have no idea, did Jonah respond? We have no idea, did Jonah's heart align behind his head and his hands? We have no idea. Did God go on to use Jonah to impact other cities of his day? We really have no idea. And I think perhaps that's on purpose because at the end of the day, the question is not really, it, it, it's, it's really not that important to know how Jonah responded. The question really becomes, how will you respond and how will I respond? It could be that you're here today and in one way or another, you've been running from God, either like the younger son in the full-on rebellion running away, going your own direction, like I don't need any of this God stuff. I don't need that crutch. I don't need that whatever. My way is fine. Or maybe you've been like the older brother and you're around church and you're out, but, but you know if you're honest, there's some ways that your heart's just out of focus, where your heart is not aligned with the heart of God. And maybe today, God is calling to you in the same way, maybe he's dogging you and pursuing you in the same way that he pursued Jonah, not to, not to bring destruction, but to bring reconciliation, to bring freedom and life. Maybe today, God is calling to you and speaking to you and working things in you. He says, man, it's time to turn back home. It's time to turn and receive his grace, to receive a second chance, a fresh start this morning. Maybe it's time to come clean and just open up our hands and our hearts to him and say, God, I've rebelled. I've gone my own way. I've done my own thing. Would you forgive me? I need you, Jesus. Would you come and forgive me? Bring me back home, pour out your grace on me. Maybe that's what he's saying to you today. Maybe there's another response. Maybe uh, you've received that grace for yourself, but in one way or another, you can kind of identify with that older brother kind of thing. And maybe there's some ways that your heart's out of alignment, where you've been looking down your nose at somebody, where you've been hoping that ill would come to somebody's life around you. Maybe, there's, maybe you're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody else, even though you have been forgiven a great deal. And maybe today God is calling you home as well. So you know what, it's time to ask, to, to open up your heart to God and say, God, would you forgive me? And then maybe go to one of those, go to that person and say, man, I have, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I've, I've been harboring bitterness. I've been harboring, would you forgive me as well? Maybe that's how God's prompting. Maybe that's how God's calling you home. Or maybe the truth be told, you've been gotten pretty comfortable on your own. You've been living life for you, living life uh, your own way with you in charge and, and that kind of thing. Maybe you've been enamored with the way that God has been good to you, ways God has poured out his grace on you and graciously given you great things in life. And those are to be enjoyed. But maybe today God's saying, you know what, it's not just for you. But I've got plans. I want to use you to impact your world. Maybe there's ways this holiday season that God's going to prompt you or nudge you and say, you know, there's a coworker that's going through a hard time or a neighbor that's lonely that maybe you need to invite into your home 
Maybe you need to invite him over and reach out to him and love on him and point him to a, a God that's crazy about him. Maybe there's somebody that, uh, at work or somebody in your sphere maybe that needs an encouragement. Maybe you can encourage him. Maybe you can love on him. Maybe God will prompt you to pray for him. Even put a hand on him and just say, can I just pray for you? And just pray God's blessing on him. Pray that God would draw him home. God would intervene or work or whatever. I don't know. Maybe you'll have the opportunity like I did, that story that I shared with somebody this, this Christmas season that you get to invite uh, to church, maybe that you get to invite and share with them about how they can come home and receive God's forgiveness and grace and second chances. I don't know how God may be prompting you, but let's learn a lesson from Jonah, right? We don't have to learn the hard way. We don't have to take that route. God has good stuff in store for you. We have a God that is full of grace, that's working, trying to bring us back home, trying to realign our hearts, our heads, right, in our hands, and that wants to send us out and use us to bring his plans to bear in this world. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are thankful for your grace, gosh. We have all been recipient of grace upon grace. We're thankful um, for your love. We're thankful for forgiveness that you <coughs> offer when we don't deserve a lick of it. We're thankful for second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And God, how can we respond but to open up our hearts to you, our lives to you, and say, we need you, Jesus. Would you come afresh this morning? God, as we look to you, as we put our trust in you, would you come and, and wash our hearts, wash our lives clean? Would you teach us to follow you? Would you align our hearts, our heads, and our hands with your good and perfect will? God, may we be people characterized by your grace, people consumed with grace, both receiving it for ourselves, but also pouring it out on all those around us. As we have been forgiven, may we forgive. God, as, as we have received so much, may we graciously give. And God, would you send us out and use us on mission. We come in to worship, we come in to hear from you and meet with you, but we go out to serve and to shine and to bring your kingdom uh, a little bit more fully wherever we go. Would you live your life through us and in us? Would you be glorified in us? Would you, would you have your way, God? We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us this week. In Jesus' name.